The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. P. Nate, Elder P, not in Garage Mahal. Nope. We are live at the Men of Valor Conference. Let's lift it up for the Men of Valor Conference, guys. As you can hear, we have a live studio audience. Studio audience? Sure. We have a live studio audience today, and it's about half the people that will probably be in here, but the line for food is still very, very long. So if anybody wants bonus points with the Rebel and bring Pootie Brisket, that would be delicious and lovely. <laughs> Wonderful. So we're, like I said, we are live at the Men of Valor Conference. This is a conference we're hosting um, at our church. And Nate, you just finished preaching. How do you feel right now? Uh, I feel okay. Thank you for asking. <laughs> we're just pumped that there's this many people here. We um, just for for people who are listening to this at some point, we capped this conference at 150, and for some reason, 200 guys showed up. So thanks for showing up, guys. It was awesome. We didn't know if we would actually get 150, and uh, a lot more guys showed up, and uh, and that's exciting because this conference we'd always kind of um, we'd advertise this as men of valor, men who are going to be self-ruled, men who want to take seriously the, the call on their lives to take dominion and responsibility for every, the sphere in which God's placed them. And I, I think that that's a, a very necessary uh, message right now. And the fact that 200 men showed up to hear about that and to learn about that is really encouraging. So that's awesome. It's amazing. It's great that you guys are here to, to listen to that as well. I really loved your, your talk. You did say a lot of what I want to say tomorrow myself, so I'm very upset about that. But yeah. other than that, I, the thing that stuck Just go home me, and rewrite your whole thing. That's fine. That is exactly what I'm going to do, buddy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go home and and write it all once the social is done. So what we wanted to do is we kind of wanted to walk through the practical application steps that you gave at the end of your talk yep. and just ask if there's any questions like so we can kind of flesh that out for the for the people. So if you're listening to this as a podcast and you didn't just hear the Men of Valor talk, it is going to be online. It's yep. going to be on YouTube. It's going to be on the feed. Go find the first talk, which is entitled Men Are to Take Dominion, and listen to that, and then come back and listen men to the podcast. Men are made to rule. Yeah, it's called oh, men, men, are, men are Made to Rule. I yeah. paid a okay. lot of attention. Yeah. Wait, a lot wait of to attention. listen. Wait, wait uh, to listen. So uh, we went through uh, kind of eight things at the end of it. The whole idea of the talk was that men were made to take dominion, that God doesn't allow us to take dominion unless we can first rule ourselves, take dominion of ourselves. And so in order to rule yourself, you have to be ruled by the Spirit of God. And we ended with um, kind of eight, eight, 
practical applications, things that are actually going to be fleshed out throughout the rest of this conference through the, the breakaway sessions and through the main sessions. So we just, I, we just kind of hit on them really quickly without delving too deeply into them, but we'll delve in a little bit, answer some questions. So what do you want me to do? Do you want me to just go through them and then you, you talk and then ask people questions? Is that what you want to do? Uh, let me ask you a question about the okay. first one, because the first one's kind of like, it's kind of obvious, right? It, the, if you guys recall, the first one was read a psalm and a proverb every day. So what made you start doing that? So the guy who mentored me, uh, his name was Mike Wilkins, and uh, he, he once uh, kind of told me there are 31 Proverbs and there's 31 days in most months, which means that you can read through the entire book of Proverbs every month if you read one proverb a day. And, uh, and so I just started doing that because it was something that he did and he was a guy with a lot of wisdom. And uh, he actually told me that there's no better book in the Bible to equip a pastor for pastoral counseling than just knowing the Proverbs, right? The Proverbs are a collection of wisdom. And as I said in the talk that uh, Proverbs is actually written by King Solomon for his kids who are going to be kings and princes. So Proverbs is, is really just wisdom for kings, wisdom for rulers. And if men are, are called to rule, then we have to know the wisdom of God that is meant for rulership. And that's actually, it actually goes all the way back to the garden. I didn't have time to flesh all this out, but the idea of like the knowledge of the tree of wisdom, it's the wisdom to rule. And the whole reason it was denied to Adam, the, the scriptures don't actually say that he wouldn't have been given access to that tree at some point. But the idea was that he wasn't to grasp it before it's time. He was to wait patiently for it. And there's that theme throughout scripture where we wait patiently until God gives us something. But when we try to grasp it before it's time, then it's taken away from us. So the idea is that wisdom from God is wisdom to rule. And if men were made to rule, then we need to know wisdom and we need to have wisdom. So reading the Psalm or the Proverbs is the best way to do that. So I read a proverb a day, a Psalm a day, and then whatever, uh, a chapter of whatever particular book that I'm in. And I know that might sound like a lot, but three chapters is not, I mean, we're talking about 15 minutes of reading max um, if you're just, just barreling through the passages. So it's, it's not really long until you get to like Psalm 119 or something. <laughs> We break that one up in weeks. Yeah, that's right. we um, So I do something similar. I read a proverb every day. You got me doing this a while ago as well. Um, I read a proverb every day, but I read the same psalm all week because we study the psalms in our men's prayer group. So I just read the same psalm repeatedly over the week. So it takes me a long time to get through the book of psalms. You're going through it like twice a year. But, um, but hopefully you know the psalms better by the end of the well, week. Well, Lord willing, but probably not. <laughs> uh, probably not. Um, one, of the, one of the great things about psalms, I, I really liked when you were talking in, in your talk, the, the point that you pointed out that it's wisdom wisdom for kings. Yeah. It's not just wisdom generically. It's wisdom for men who are meant to, yeah. to rule and take and take dominion. And if we think about that, we're, we are all co-heirs of Christ. We're all part inheriting his kingdom with him. Um, so we're all princes and kings ourselves. And so the, the book of Proverbs is specifically talking to us and the wisdom of how we would rule this world in the in the eternal state, so to speak, as his uh, um, as co-heirs and whatnot. So I really I really like that part. I thought that was very Im impactful. Um, does anybody have any questions about the po Proverbs and Psalm reading? That one's pretty straightforward. But if there is a question, we'll take it. Oh, we got a question in the back. Yeah, um, this is a great question. So I don't know if that uh, microphone is going to come through on the podcast feed. So I'll repeat the question. The question was: I said read a psalm and a proverb, and one of the things I said about the psalms is that uh, David is a, is a really emotional guy. And he's, he's actually prone, if you read through the, the uh, Psalms, and he's obviously not the only author of the Psalms, but he's the predominant author of the Psalms. And one of the things that you see is that he is prone to these um, very high highs and these very low lows. 
And I think that that's in there. It's interesting because, um, you know, I think that one of the things that, that Psalms then teaches us is that though we might find ourselves in high highs and low lows because of the emotions of whatever it is that we're facing in that particular season of our lives, that we aren't called to allow the emotions that might go up and down to be actually what, what rules us. I alluded to uh, Psalm uh, 13, and Psalm 13 reads this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice and I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So you have like at the beginning of this psalm, you have how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? There's, there's even an accusation there in David's voice. He's saying like, essentially, God, you're hiding from me. And how long are you going to forsake me? Well, we know that Jesus comes along later and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We know that David, as you said, was a man after God's own heart. He had the spirit of God, which wouldn't leave him. And therefore, God hadn't forsaken him and wouldn't forsaken him. So this is obviously not theology that David is teaching, that God was forsaking him. This was him speaking out of a, a, a gut-wrenching sorrow that he was feeling at the time. And so I think from that, we can learn that, number one, God can take, there's, a, there's an entire book of the Bible that often gets neglected called Lamentations, when, when you know, um, the, the prophet is just telling God all the things that he's upset about in the world around him, which just reminds us that, like, God's big enough to take our complaints. Now, we have to do so respectfully, remember that we're talking to God. Obviously, David was speaking out of emotion there, but what I, my point there was that the Psalms also teach us not to be ruled by our emotions. But as you can see, even though he was having this feeling, when you get to verse 5 and 6, he says, but I trust in your love. Like, I trust in the things that you've told me. I believe those things. I'm going to sing of the, all the things that you've done for me. You've dealt bountifully with me. So even though in the emotional side of things, he feels like God has forsaken him, objectively, he can set his mind to remember that God has actually been good to him. And so instead of allowing his emotions, which are up and down, to dictate his, like his feelings to kind of run him, instead he intellectually looks back at what God has done for him and, uh, and says, I'm going to choose to trust in these things and let these things be the anchor that my emotions are tethered to. So that, that's sort of where I was thinking. You can jump in anytime you want, Chris. I think you said a lot of good things there, obviously. Um, one of the things that's interesting about David, I'm going to talk a little bit about him in my talk in uh, the morning tomorrow. Is this, he, he's the same guy. Because you're going to go home tonight and rewrite it? And I'm going to yeah, rewrite no, this in right. tomorrow so that it's fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> we forget sometimes that David is both people, right? He's the guy who killed Goliath, and he's also the guy who bemoaned and, and was a poet in the Psalms yeah. and laid out his heart. And so actually I'll, I'll bring this into the second point because your second point was pray daily and pray often and pray. Yeah. Um, and so you're inadvertently teaching us, so to speak, how even we can pray, right? Yeah. Um, and David lays out all of his feelings. He lays out everything before the Lord, but he sees the cross. And he, he, so he doesn't accuse God of it. He just, here's everything that's happening with me. I'm going to lay all my baggage at your feet, so to speak. But you're the one that's in control. I trust in all of your promises moving forward, regardless of what happens to me. And if you, if you link that with uh, Job, Job had a terrible life, right? 
But it's not until Job actually accuses God of something, of being unfair or whatnot, and then what does God, what does God say back to Job? Well, Gird up you? your loins like yeah. a man. Where were you when I made the world? Where yeah. were you when I did? And it's, there's a difference. Actually, what he says is, have you considered the ostrich? It's like, what? Why would I think about an ostrich, God? It's an odd answer. Sorry, keep going. You, you only said that because you know I'm afraid of birds. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But it's, yeah, the idea is like... It, we, we can lay out our feelings and our, our situation, our circumstance, and we can even bemoan those things before the Lord. He's secure enough yeah. to, to take that. What we can't do is ever, ever cross that line where we're now accusing him of something that's unfair or yeah. like saying we don't deserve what we're getting because we all know as, as in, in this room. So we, just because we're at a men's conference, can I go off script? Of course. Okay. So it, that's, it's interesting you say that because I think, it's, uh, I think there's a really important point that you made there is... God is secure enough to handle it, right? So, like, God doesn't, um, he doesn't judge David for um, bringing his complaints to God. Uh, David is never chastised for saying to God, why are you forsaking me, right? The Book of Lamentations is, is inspired scripture. It's not, it's not uh, judged or the, the prophet judged because of its tone or anything like that. God is secure enough to hear our complaints, and I think at a men's conference, it, it would be wise for us to just pause there and, and ask the question of like, are we secure enough men that when we are accused of something, when somebody is unhappy with us, do we unravel, right? Or, or like God, are we okay with people bringing their complaints to us? And either we need the correction and we welcome the correction. Proverbs tells us to love, right? Love reproof, love light and correction. Or are we so insecure that when somebody brings correction to us, we totally unravel, we melt into a puddle? I think that's a really, really important thing. Like at a men's conference where we're talking about masculinity, I think that, uh, that being secure in who we are and not allowing criticism to unravel us is a, is a characteristic we should all strive for. Uh, you, you said it uh, a little bit different. You said in point four, you said seek responsibility. Yeah. And I would say like uh, one, of, one of the things that is important about responsibilities. Responsibility is actually how we get authority. Yeah, and so as right. as men, the more responsibility we take, oh, the more. Look at Brian. Oh my word, this guy! Hey, give him a round of applause. <laughs> you guys, Brian just can't brought see. A, a plate of brisket for Chris and a piece of pizza for Nate. Um, so <laughs> that's, what, that's the way it works. Um, but no, we we as men, we get we get the more responsibility we take the more authority we, you're actually going to go grab it. I love it. Um, the more responsibility we take, the more authority we actually gather. And when we start to sh blame shift or pass the buck off to other people, we actually lose our gravitas. We actually lose our authority. So by taking responsibility, why, by being secure to hear the feedback and be like, you know what? I'll take care of that problem. Or it's, yeah, that's, my, that's on me. It's my, it's my thing. It actually increases our authority and our leadership and our, uh, duty in terms of in people's eyes, it, it makes us better leaders, not worse. So it's it's one of those things you you would want to think. Let's pass the buck off so people don't think negatively of me. But if you're secure enough to take it, it actually increases how people view you in the role that you're in. So as men, take responsibility. Yeah, and it's actually um, in the world that we live in, and one of the reasons the world is in the state that it's in is because we have men who want authority without responsibility, right? So when you think about I'm, I'm sure I'll get a couple of cheers from this, but when you think about our, our current prime minister and his, <laughs> and his ability to um, abdicate responsibility and yet continually point to his own authority, that one of the reasons he's become a laughingstock is because 
anytime there's something that he could take responsibility for, think like problems that he's actually created, he's continually passing the buck, but he wants to hold on to the authority that he has. And I think this is how you get into, I said in my talk that there's a war between the patriarchies, that patriarchy is, is, has been built into the fabric of the universe. God said that men will rule, but whether or not it will be godly patriarchy or wicked patriarchy, that's the war that's being waged. And so you look at a guy like Justin Trudeau, I would say he is a wicked patriarch who is ruling uh, and, and clinging to authority while abdicating responsibility rather than seeking it. And, and it's interesting because obviously Christ, who is the ultimate man, what he did was he actually, it says in Philippians, that he didn't, he didn't see equality with God as something to be grasped, something to be take, taken, that he was actually more uh, concerned with taking the responsibility of sins that didn't belong to him, right, and taking the responsibility for our salvation upon himself than it was clinging to the authority that he had in heaven. Amen. That smells amazing, so I'm going to get going, this going quickly here. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions about how to take responsibility or taking responsibility? Feel free, feel free, feel free. Everybody's mouth is stuffed with Every, brisket. Everybody <laughs> now can smell the food and they're like, we just want you guys to end the podcast. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's what fair. I, let, why don't we just jump right into this one? Because I think out of all the other ones, uh, we can run over them, like gain mental and physical strength. That's pretty obvious, I think. Um, if you need tips, obviously I'm the guy to come to. Um, <laughs> cultivate relationships with men that you admire. Find a mentor. If you're young, ask them. If you're old, seek them out. Yep. And a lot of times we think, well, what is it? What's what's this guy going to teach me about that? You can find a mentor for a particular thing. So I did this a few years ago. People probably don't know this. I, like, I didn't know anything about how to share my faith to strangers. So I asked Corey McKenna to teach me how to share my faith with strangers. I have a great story. One of my best friends in the world is, is an older man. His name is Barry. I, mean, I don't think he's in here. Um, so I can tell... Oh, he's in here, so I'll embarrass him. And I didn't know anything about the covenants at this time. This is about 10 years ago. So I walked up to Barry, and I was like, Barry, teach me the covenants. Now, in his defense, he said no. Um, but like, uh, <laughs> To his shame, you mean. But I asked him again, and he said yes, and then he taught me the covenants. So um, like, we, we need to be secure enough as men even just to just seek that out. If we want to be discipled, ask somebody. Yeah. Find somebody you want to cultivate their character of and be like, can you teach me and, how to do and that? And this doesn't always even just have to be spiritual. Like I, I, I didn't have a father who was handy in any way. And so um, I didn't learn how to, how to do basic home repairs and all that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that's a blessing about being part of the church family, and I don't know if Sam's in here or if he's out tending the fire, but um, there's, there's guys in our church who are uh, skilled tradesmen. And so what, I, what I'll do is I'll, I'll invite them over to, to help me with a house project. I'll pay them for their time and I'll tell them like, look, I know that it's going to take you twice as long because of all the questions I'm going to ask you. Um, but I, I, I want to learn because I only want you to come in and show me how to change a toilet once or, you know, uh, you know fix some uh, piping underneath my sink or whatever. And so I'll just invite people over. And so it doesn't have to always be spiritual either. Like if you want to learn how to take dominion, part of how you take dominion is also taking care of and bringing about the flourishing of that which God has given to you, which also includes your, your, your home and your, your gardens and your roof and your, you know, all these kinds of things. So if you're not a guy who has the practical skills to be able to do that, then seek mentors who can help you in that way too. It doesn't always have to be just spiritualized because all of life is spiritual. Yeah, the two, two things I'll say on that. One, clearly Nate doesn't work in the trades because he doesn't realize that taking longer is a good thing because they're paid by the hour. That's true. Um, that, so that that's, is true. that's fine. Um, and the second thing, we, had, we, had, we used to have a good friend who would always say, uh, I'm not discipling you unless you've folded my husband's laundry. It was a woman, obviously. Um, but it was like <laughs> that idea of like, 
a lot of times discipleship happens when you're doing practical life together things yeah. just together. Uh, you're just going through For things sure. together, and that's when a lot of these comfort. Uh, uh, conversations that are build up character happen. Um, let's, let's just zero in on the one that I think is the, the most important for everybody here. And I, I think we want to flesh it a little bit more. And that was point three, which is master your vices. Yeah. You gave us some tips of accountability. Um, obviously white knuckle it, cut off your hands kind of thing. What, what is the best piece of advice you ever heard when you were a younger man about mastering like self becoming a self-ruled? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm a nerd, right? So I'm going to answer every question nerdy. So the best piece of advice that I ever got was actually as somebody was helping me understand uh, Greek mythology a little bit. So bear with me for a second. In Greek mythology, there's a, there's an island called the Island of Sirens, right? You guys have heard of this. When you hear about the Sirens Call, that's where that comes from. Uh, the Island of Sirens was a, was a place in Greek mythology, an island in Greek mythology, where there are these half-women, half-bird creatures and they could sing beautiful melodies. The music that they would make would stretch out long, like far miles out from the island, and they would lure sailors who would hear the siren's song into the island to go and, and follow that beautiful melody. But the island was surrounded with, um, with a reef and with rocks, and so what would happen is the ships that would veer towards the island would, would break on the rocks, and these sirens, it's, I mean, it's Greek mythology, it's always a little bit violent and bloody, um, were cannibals, and so these half-bird, half-creature women, these sirens would then eat and eat the sailors, and that was sort of, so everybody knew, don't go to the island of sirens. But the whole point was that the, the siren's call was so beautiful that even though you knew you shouldn't go there, even though you knew it was going to destroy you, you wouldn't be able to help it. And like, I've, I've counseled countless men who, even the struggle with well, just pornography, right? This is, uh, statistically speaking, running rampant in the church. You have men, you have, you have believers who, who are, are saved by the blood of Christ, who know the word of God, who know the dangers of pornography, and yet can't stop themselves. And when you think about all of the various, you need to open up your laptop, you need to make sure nobody else is around, you need to type in the address you want to go to, you need to look for the video you want to go to, you need to unbuckle your, your shorts or whatever. Like there's so many steps along the way, and, and, and Christians, they'll take each and every one of those steps knowing that it's going to lead to their destruction. So the Island of Sirens has become a very um, good analogy for like knowing something Something is going to destroy you and yet going anyway. So all that to say, Odysseus um, in the Odyssey, he had been away from home for uh, over a decade and he just wanted to get home. And so he wanted to go past the island of Sirens. And so the way he got past the island of Sirens is he took beeswax and he put it in all of the ears of his sailors. And, but, but Odysseus wanted to hear how beautiful the Sirens call was. And so he asked to be strapped to the mast of the ship. So all of his sailors have wax in their ears, and Odysseus is strapped to the mast of the ship. And, um, and so he hears, as they're, as they're going past the island, he hears the song. And in the Odyssey, it's really interesting because it kind of talks about how he knows if he jumps into the water and swims to the island, he will die. And yet, the, the siren song is so beautiful that that's exactly what he wants to do. But because he's strapped to the mast of the ship, he, uh, he, he stays. So they get past the island of sirens, and he, the, the song gets out of his mind. He comes to his senses. All his sailors take out their ears. They got past the island of sirens. Yay! Okay. So honestly, that's how most of us try to overcome our vices. 
right? So we try to, um, it, you know, if you're struggling with pornography, get data off your phone, get your laptop out of your house, you know, all those kinds of things. Point your computer, you know, to a place where everybody in the house can see it. Those are good things. If you if you struggle with alcohol and you know you can't stop it at just one or two, then then you know don't don't drink any, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we have these sort of physical things that we say in order to master our vices. And I would say those are good things. Do those things. Do the, do the things that help you, the physical things. But there was another Greek hero who had a better strategy for getting past the island of Sirens. And that was Jason. If you've ever heard of Jason and the Argonauts, that's Jason. He knew on his journey, he was going to have to go past the island of Sirens on the way there and on the way back. And so what he did was he actually brought Orpheus onto his ship. Now, Orpheus, according to Greek mythology, was, the, was blessed by the gods to be the most talented musician in all the world. And so when the island of Sirens was coming up and the Sirens song was able to be heard by the sailors and they started to be allured and, and drawn in, he commanded Orpheus to go to the bow of the ship and begin to play a more beautiful song. Right? So rather than, rather than trying simply to drown out the, the, the sound of the sirens, the, the sailors were drawn to and taken in by the beauty of something that was far more compelling to them than the island. And so, so here's how that relates to vices. I think the, number, the first thing you have to do to overcome whatever vice it is, uh, addiction to pornography, addiction to alcohol, um, you know, time wasting, little video games on your phone, all these silly things that waste our time. Whatever the vice is, the first thing you have to do is you have to cultivate a vision for yourself freed from that. What is, what is better than a man who is uh, addicted to pornography? A man who is faithful to his wife, who has good and enjoyable and frequent sex with his wife, fruitful sex with his wife, like that's a far more beautiful vision than a man who is struggling with pornography on a daily basis. So the first thing you have to do is you have to be enthralled by a more beautiful vision for your life. And, and so ask yourself the question, if I was freed from this, what would, what would I do with my free time? What would I do with my free thought? What would I do without all that guilt baggage and all that kind of stuff? And, and, and cast a vision for yourself free from that vice, not because, of you, because you're merely strapped to the mast of the ship, but because you're actually following and compelled by something more beautiful. Amen. Wonderful. We have already been five minutes over, so we're going to let you guys ask any questions you guys have right now about what Nate just said, except if it's spelling of those names, um, or any questions in general. If you've ever had a question for the Rebels and wanted to ask it, now is your time or forever hold your peace. I, I have one for you. Yeah, you question well, well, for they me. think of one. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Jared's shirt? Oh, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. <laughs> I, I almost didn't let him in to the building. Um, Jared's it, wearing a Man U shirt, and, and Chris is a Liverpool fan. so He, he does that because he, he's weak of character. I'm just, <laughs> wow. I'm just, I'm just wow. joking. I'm just joking. I feel like there's going to be a wrestling match outside, AJ. Eh, I love him. I love him. Um, any questions for the Rebels? We've got one at the back. Yeah, here. Marcus, Jake. Yeah, great question. So the question was just like, um, can, can we delve into a little bit in terms of prayer life? because one of the points was pray daily. So first of all, I would say every husband who's in the room, you ought to pray with your wife enough that when you pray with your wife, it's not awkward. (laughs) 
I, I know there's plenty of guys who, um, when things are tough and they, they say to their wives, oh, we, we should maybe pray about that. And then it's kind of awkward because you're not in the habit of doing it. Never, never pray so infrequently that it's awkward when you say, let's pray about it. And so you should pray with your wife uh, daily. You should pray with your kids daily. What that looks like for me is um, oftentimes for Colleen and I, one of the things I learned early on in my marriage is that um, men, men are fixers, men are doers. Uh, women are much more relationally uh, bound. It took me a while to figure out that whenever she was telling me something that was bothering her, she, it wasn't, she wasn't actually asking me to fix the problem for her, which is crazy to me because I would always give her really great advice on how to fix it very simply. <laughs> Um, but that's not what she wanted to hear. She just wanted to uh, know that I was hearing her and understanding her and all that kind of stuff. So one of the things that I've done, and, and of course there, there comes a time when we are to lead our wives and, and tell them how to fix some of the things that are ailing them. But um, so one of the first things I'll do is I'll just say, hey, let's pray about that, right? So that's my way because my first inclination is to fix it for her. Um, she wants me to just listen. And so the compromise in the middle, which is actually the far better way, is, is let's, let's pray about that. And so, um, and oftentimes, I, you, can also, you can also instruct people through prayer. I, I find this a lot, even through evangelism and stuff, when you can ask somebody, hey, is there anything I can pray for for you? And when you pray for them, you can pray the gospel to them, you can pray all kinds of things. So I think uh, you can also instruct your wife in terms of how she should be thinking through things when she comes to you with issues as you're, through how you're praying. Um, but uh, you also asked, um, you know, in terms of the kids. So I, praying with your kids, one of the things that we always do is we, we try to instruct our kids to pray along the, um, the sort of paradigm of the Lord's Prayer. So the first thing you do is you, you praise God for who he is. So you always start a prayer by thanking God for who he is and what he's done for you and all that kind of stuff. And you don't get into your sort of laundry list of give me this day my daily bread until later on once you've asked, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so again, even in prayer as you're leading your family, you're teaching your, your kids how to pray. Yes, yes, Quinn, I understand that Quinn's my, my daughter. Yes, Quinn, I understand that you want a cat and you're praying for a cat. But before we do that, let's pray for God's will because it's not God's will for you to have a cat. <laughs> but, um, but you know what I mean? So you're, you're teaching your kids. So I use the Lord's Prayer and I've always, I've, I've done that for years where I just, I have, I literally often will have it in front of me and I just pray through the various things, right? Lead me not into temptation. You're praying for God to help you through various things. And, and honestly, by the time, oftentimes by the time you get to the things that you want, because that's the problem is that many of, much of our prayer life becomes just a list of all the things we want. That comes very late in the Lord's Prayer. Um, the other thing that I do just uh, for my own personal time of prayer is I often find prayers in Scripture and pray them and just pray them. So like the prayer that I pray more than any other prayer is when Solomon prays for wisdom, um, when God says, you know, ask me and I'll give you anything. And he says he asks for prayer in order to govern God's people. And so certainly in my role, um, you know, the, the amount of, of people that I'm responsible for, I pray for that. I pray that prayer often. I pray Nehemiah's prayer quite often about not being afraid of them. Joshua's prayer as he comes into land. So find prayers in scripture, particularly prayers prayed by men of faith men whose faith you want to emulate and just pray scripture so and i would i would say because that that was my um advice too like a lot of times one of the things that prevents men from making that first step to do the thing that we have told them pray with your family do is we have this tendency to be insecure about our theology and all that stuff as we pray mm -hmm. well if you're just praying god's word you're saying perfect things right so just find a, a passage of scripture and read that as your as your prayer and then you know 
at that point, you, you've, you've read something. Generally speaking, you, you have the words at that point to, to kind of finish the prayer. And that, that's an easy way to like ease yourself into it. And it's a good thing to do in general anyway. Um, but that demonstrates that, you know, scripture's the authority and it's, you don't have to worry about all those like little things like, did I say that right? Did I not? Because that's can be the awkward thing for men, particularly men who are like, um, you know, either newer to the faith or, or haven't been doing this with their family and they're trying to like catch up now. And um, yep. this is a quick way to do that, right? Um, so I would say that's a that's a really easy way to kind of pull through that. Yeah. Um, there was another question. Yeah, let's, at the let's back. let Marcus ask a question, then let's go get food. Yeah, like we'll let you go to your, all your vices. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's way more than a movie, Marcus. Come on, it's a, it's a way of life, Marcus. <laughs> um, like, you want me to go first? Yeah. I gotta right. think about it. All right. Number number one is Star Wars. There's like there's a huge gap. Then there's Lord of the Rings, and then there's a massive gap, and then there's Narnia. Now let me point out, <laughs> Nate's gonna kill me. He loves C.S. Lewis. Um, let me point out that I didn't read Narnia as a young man, so I came to I only read Narnia like three years ago. So it's not quite as enjoyable when you're a 40 year old dude reading like about fairies and fawns and, and Nate's, Nate's much more of a literature guy. So I didn't understand all the fairy tales. I didn't grow up on fairy tales. I grew up on GI Joe's and transformers. So like when, when they're talking about, Oh, that's like a, an allegory for this. I'm like, I it was a lost on me, man. So, um, and then obviously Lord of the Rings is awesome because swords are cool, but what's better than swords? fire laser swords. So Star Wars. <laughs> oh man. All right. So I don't want to invert exactly what you said, but I feel like I have to like, first of all, GI, GI Joe is over transformers, but then, 100%. um, yeah, I would go, um, I would go Chronicles of Narnia and then Lord of the Rings and then Star Wars. And you know how much I, I, I love Star like, Wars. I feel I really like you're do, Jesus juking me though. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean like, this is the Christian yeah, one. George Lucas doesn't Maybe love Jesus, but C.S. Lewis does. So, uh, yeah, no, I think C.S. Lewis, I, I think Chronicles of Narnia were fantastic. I, and maybe I'm biased right now cause I'm rereading them now to my kids. So that's like, I, I read them as a kid, read them as a teenager. And now I'm also reading them to my kids. So there is, I just think there's so much deeper, right? There's so much more, um, to it. But uh, love Lord of the Rings as well. I think, honestly, and this is the thing, I love Star Wars. I love the, the sort of mythology of Star Wars. But there is something that's different when a Christian builds a world based on what he sees scripturally, yeah. right? So Star Wars is awesome and cool, but like Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth, it was created with theology in mind, as was Narnia. So I feel like, yeah, so, Jesus so we, juked, sorry. We, we compromise on Lord of the Rings? So, All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I can live with that. Your second question? Yeah, I think, um, so first of all, I would say there a couple things come to mind. Think of the various spheres that God has placed you in, right? So God has given you, um, you're married, Marcus, I know. You have uh, uh, your first kid. One on the Oh, one on the way. I think I'm a prophet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just turned white, yeah. Um, come, come to my talk tomorrow. It's called Sex is Very Good. Well, uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry, Marcus, uh, where was I? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the various realms that God has given to us, right? So God has obviously given us, uh, in, in our relationship with him, he's given us a family. He's given us, um, uh, a, f a church family. He's given us a neighborhood. He's given us a workplace. And so what seeking responsibility in those various spheres looks like is I think like how many times do we hear, whether it's at church, right? We need volunteers for this, right? We, we just live in a, a world now where we live in like back porch, private fence kind of world where the idea of like, 
you know, helping somebody move, showing up to reshingle somebody's roof, like all that kind of stuff. We, we just live in a culture where that used to be the norm. That used to be what men did on Saturdays, right? We live in a culture now where we have, you know, God command us work six days and on the seventh day rest. We have a two-day weekend every week and we have a lot of guys who spend both of those days just in recreation and enjoying their, their own time. So when I say seek responsibility, I'm saying like look for opportunities. There are single, there are single moms in your uh, congregation who need their, their porch light fixed and their grass cut and you know their kids driven to uh, homeschool co-op and all that kind of stuff. Like as a family, how can you take responsibility for the people around you? On your, in, in your neighborhood, you know, who, who lives in your neighborhood? What older uh, people live in their neighborhood where their grass does need cutting? Like those kinds of things, just look for uh, opportunities to be relied on by others. And so whatever that looks like, and maybe at work, it means you're volunteering to do more. Maybe, maybe something comes up and it doesn't necessarily mean more pay, more whatever, but you are seeking more responsibility. When you can be counted on and you're seeking responsibility, influence flows through, as, as Chris said, uh, authority flows through responsibility. And so if you want the authority to be able to speak truth into other people's lives, if you want to be trusted when people's lives are falling apart around them and they're going to come to you with questions about what to do and what your faith is all about, you, you sort of earn the capital by being a man who can be counted on and who has done things for them and is, has, has taken on responsibility to make, bring about their flourishing, right? So come back to the talk. Dominion means bringing about the flourishing of all those that you're responsible for. Now, a lot of us, we want to be responsible for as little as possible, right? Because that, that means that we have to work less on bringing about its flourishing. But I would say there's a cool line in, um, there's a book, uh, there's a movie called The Kingdom of Heaven. It's not a Christian movie at all. It's got, uh, what's that guy's name in it? Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom. And uh, it's about the Crusades and, and uh, Jerusalem and everything. And he has this cool line in it where he inherits this, this land from his father and he gets there and it's sort of this barren wasteland in the middle of the desert. And, uh, and uh, somebody says, what are you going to do with this land? There's no water on it. And he says, uh, what man is a man who does not try to make his world better? And so the whole thing, then he, he, he it, it, through a little bit of a montage, you see that he's bringing about the flourishing. He, he digs well, he finds water, he brings the neighborhood uh, into um, kind of cultivating the land a little bit more and seeing it flourish because he found water and all this kind of stuff. But that's the whole idea is, what has God given to you? How do you make it better? How do you bring about its flourishing? And, and the, the, the principle of scripture is that God gives more responsibility to those who are faithful with what he's given, right? David didn't slay Goliath publicly in front of everybody until he was first faithful at fighting off the bear and fighting off the wolf, right? And so in scripture, you see this, this theme, God gives a little, are you faithful with it? When you're faithful with it, you bear the responsibility, bear the weight of what it is that he's given to you, then he expands your responsibility and gives you more. So seeking responsibility, I think, is looking for those opportunities to expand. Chris is going to talk about the term gravitas, the idea of like weightiness and, and people who rely on you. When you think of gravity, you think of everything that revolves around the sun and that is, is uh, contingent upon its gravitational pull. That's what we as men ought to be like. There are things that rely on our stability in, orbit, in order to live their lives in orbit around us. So I think that's what I mean by kind of take responsibility. Yeah, I'll just quickly add a couple of like little practical examples. So um, you're late for work. Don't say, oh, I, I was stuck in traffic. I was like, those things might be true. Yeah, take responsibility. Point. I am sorry, sir. I was late for a work. Yeah, you don't it. care why I was late because you're paying me to be on time. So like just little things like that, it, it changes the way people approach you when you start to 
not blame shift. So I would say don't shift blame at any point. Yep. Um, even if it's not your fault, you can still shield and take the responsibility um, and take the blows that maybe was Nate's fault or somebody else's fault, right? That And then go and address that person di directly. Um, and that will increase your responsibility. And I'd also say don't keep score with each other. Um, so one of the things that I think is helps men take proper like responsibility and dominion is that we 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 have this mental checklist sometimes like well I did this so you need to do this it's my, like and it's like no no that's not that's not a scriptural thing Jesus did everything and we did nothing you know what I mean so like the idea is like if we're gonna model Christ we should be seeking problem like seeking out ways to fix problems just taking care of it there's a there's a really good premise in a book I think it's a man of the house by C.R. Wiley I think we're actually gonna give that book away we got three copies to give away yeah we're, we actually makes the point like men should just be generalists yeah you know what I mean like we should just be kind of good at everything. You don't have to be a master of everything, but you, you're, you're kind of called to be a jack of all trades. We're all called to protect, which means we should be kind of warriors. We're all kind of called to fix things around our house. We're all called to lead our house spiritually. So we got to be pastors, carpenters, um, you know, candlestick makers. I don't know what else the other thing was, but... Nobody um, needs candles, Chris. <laughs> nobody, women make candles, right? No, that's actually... I'm in trouble already. Um, but basically the idea is like we should we we should be generalists of all of all things because we take responsibility when we see yeah. something that needs to be done. And that might be we pick up the phone and make the call. It might be we take the car in because I'm not a master of that trade. But take it to Adam Zondervan, wherever he is. Yeah. Is, does he fix cars? Yeah. I didn't know that. Now you know. That's and knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle, right? <laughs> well done. That's a weird way to end this podcast, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> um, thank you all for coming. Um, we hope you have a great time fellowshipping for however long we got to do. Hopefully there's food left. Um, but get out of here. We are the Rebels. Love you all. Bye. <laughs>